Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning and uh, to see all the faces again, those that we have seen in years past, and to know the presence of the Lord. It's been a joy to be with you as we remembered the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Uh, we've been able to worship Him, and uh, it's been a privilege to be able to, to just share with you this morning as you enter into His presence with praise and with thanksgiving. Um, I want to share with you that which is on my heart, and um, we're going to go to the book of Colossians. Um, I thought long and hard and prayed about whether to change the message to something more appropriate to the time, and we did speak to the times on Friday, um, but I had in my heart just to speak to you uh, from Colossians, which has really been the passage that we've been dealing with uh, on this trip. Um, and so if you'll read with me, please, from Colossians chapter 2 and the first 10 verses. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power." The theme of the book of Colossians is the centrality or the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about, that He is the center. He is the fullness. Everything that we have, everything that we hope to be, everything that we need is to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, Paul speaks in this passage, uh, in these 10 verses, about the fact that uh, it is not in philosophy, but it is in Christ. And I'm not going to speak about philosophy. I may get there in the second session. And then later on, he says it's not in legalism, but it is in Christ. And then he says it's not in carnality, but it is in Christ. Everything we have is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, today we are tempted uh, in the modern church to deviate from that as our central thing. And we make all sorts of other things the, the center of our worship, the center of our churches, the center of our ministries, when in fact there is really just one message, and that is the message of the cross. Uh, the preaching of the, of the cross is foolishness to them that perish, but to those who are being saved is both the power and the wisdom of God. And so Paul says then that he has great conflict uh, he is in great agony, as, as it were, uh, for those who are in uh, Colossae and those who are in Laodicea. Laodicea was very close to Colossae, and uh, you'll see the letter to the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation chapter 3. Um, and then he says in verse 2, 
that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love, that their hearts may be encouraged. And, and I thank God for the words that have come this morning from the various brethren that have shared and from the hymns that we have sung, that our hearts need to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged at all times, and especially at times when things are difficult and when things are hard and when we are being challenged at, on every side. And, and we are encouraged on, on what basis? Well, maybe things will be better tomorrow. Maybe uh, this uh, whole thing will blow over and maybe the stock market will go back up again. And, and, and those are the things that we have our hope in. No, we're encouraged because our hope is built on the Lord Jesus Christ, as we, as we have heard this morning. That is the basis of our encouragement. Our encouragement is based on the fact that whatever happens in this life, we have a hope that is firm and steadfast, and that is an anchor to our soul. And that's a wonderful joy that the hope that the New Testament speaks of is the resurrection. That is our hope. Our hope is not in a recovered stock market. Our hope is not in the virus going away. Our hope is not that our hope lives would come a return to normal, although we, we desire to see all of those things. But our hope is in the day that Jesus will transform us and change us into his glorious image. When at the same time, of course, the rapture and the, and the resurrection happens at the same time, it's, a, it's, it's the two aspects of the same event. And at that glorious moment, we will be uh, with him in the air. And we, so we will ever be with the Lord. And the book of Hebrews says this hope we have as an anchor to the soul. And as our, if our anchor is in anything in this world, it is not going to hold. Many people's hope is being dashed right now as the stock market is crashing. Many, many have their hope in their jobs, and, and that is failing. But what the book of Hebrews says is that that hope enters beyond the veil. Where is beyond the veil? Well, it's in the presence of God. Now, if, I, if my anchor is, is attached to something that is going to come loose, well, then it's no good having that anchor. It's not able to strengthen me. It's not able to hold me firm. It's not able to bring stability into my life. But if my anchor is in something which is immovable and that is not changing and that is not fading away, then it is firm and steadfast. And the hope that we have is an anchor which enters into the very presence of God. That is where our anchor is, and he remains unchanging. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so let's encourage one another with the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Being knit together, in verse 2, being knit together in love. Being knit together in love. And again, we, there's a tremendous attack, of course, through this whole thing. Uh, to uh, against churches. And I'm not saying that this is aimed at churches, but the devil is certainly using it. How will we, how do we function as a body if we cannot come together uh, like this anymore? And um, that, that has already happened in many parts of the world. It has happened in California. As we go back, they've cut the numbers down from 100 to 50 to 10. And now everyone has been told to stay at home and not to leave their homes at all except for absolutely essential things. And so how do, we, how do we function as a body? 
And we're going to have to rediscover those things. We're going to have to work out new ways of communicating. And so we, we're grateful for the technology, as our brother said, that we were able to live stream these things. And obviously churches are looking at, at ways of doing that. But, you know, that can only go so far. We, we need fellowship with one another. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be encouraging one another. And we're going to have to find new ways to do that. We're going to have to use the telephone and the texting and the other things that we have. Call one another up. Stay in touch with one another. Pray with one another over the telephone. Do the things that we can. We, we, we are being very innovative right now in, in learning all sorts of ways of being able to live stream and do these things. But it needs to go beyond that. It needs to come to a place where the body can still function as a body and that we're able to do, uh, encourage one another, that we're able to minister to one another, that we're able to care for one another without being physically in contact. And so what Paul says then is that we need to be knit together in love. Being knit together, that, that term, the older people know what it means to knit, not young people don't know what that means anymore. Uh, in fact, we use that term in, in two different ways, generally in, in my version of, of English in uh, South Africa. The first is when you, when you knit a sweater or a jersey or a cardigan, depending what language you speak, um, uh, you take uh, balls of wool and uh, you, you, you knit it together and the wool becomes intertwined to make something different to what it was before. Before you had loose balls, balls of wool. Now they have been knit together to form a, a covering, something that you can wear. Uh, it is different to what it was before. And in fact, it is greater than the sum of its parts. What do we mean by that? Well, you can have all the balls of wool, and that is great. But when they are knit together, you have something which is of more value, and that is more useful than what you had before. And Paul is saying that we need to be knit together. We have value in a certain sense in, as, as individuals. But when we are knit together as the body of Christ, we become bigger and stronger than the sum of, its, of the parts, more than just our individuals. And so as individuals, so we need to be knit together. We also use the term when a bone breaks and uh, when you put the arm in a cast or whatever it is, and then we say that the bone has knit. The two parts have come together and they have become one again. They are not separate. They are not stuck together with glue, but they have joined together. The marrow has connected, and the uh, other bits and pieces that our brother Sean can tell you more about have all come together, and you now have something that is one. And Paul says, I pray that you may be knit together in love. That is my prayer, my concern for you and for our church in Sun Valley, that folk would be knit together in spite of the physical separation that we have to endure, that we would be knit together in love. What binds us together is, is not so much the fact that we're in one building, but that we are knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both the Father and of Christ. Now, there's a, there's a, that's a very complicated verse. There's a lot of information there, and I, I'm not going to spend a long time 
uh, analyzing that. But what he is saying is that we may attain to all the riches of Christ. Is it still on the, on the wall? Yeah. Now look at, look at what he's saying, that your hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches. And let's skip out all of the other bits in between and come to the bottom line of Christ, attaining to all the riches of Christ. If you go down to the end of that, uh, that section that we read, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. Where is the riches? It's to be found in Christ. Now, I'm not ignoring the rest of what he's dealing with there, but we would need more time to be able to get into that whole uh, passage, that all of those words and in that sentence. But that we may come to a full, uh, that we, sorry, and attaining to all the riches of Christ. Now, if we're saved, how do we, don't we have everything already? Or do we need to attain to it? No, we need to attain to it. We, we have, our salvation is full, it is complete, and yet it is not complete. It will be completed on the day of the, of the resurrection. But we need to be filled with more and more of Him. We need to receive the fullness of Himself. And, and so he, he's, he, this is not really a prayer, but it, it is a prayer in a sense, because Paul is, 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 is expressing his heart and his desire for them. And he says that we may attain to all the riches of the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ. Now, here's the problem, that most of us want the fullness of Christ. If I asked you for a show of hands, we would all say, yeah, I want the fullness of Christ. But how do I get the fullness of Christ? I can only get the fullness of Christ to the extent that I am willing to decrease. John the Baptist had the answer. He must increase, I must decrease. And we only have the capacity to have 100%. We're not like Jesus. Jesus is different. Remember when he walked on earth, he was 100% man, and he was 100% God. He wasn't 50% man and 50% God. He was 100% man, 100% God. But we don't have 200% capacity. He has, because He is God. But we only have 100% capacity. So you can't have 100% of me and I and myself. And, and we'll, we, we'll, we'll probably speak about that in the, um, in the next se session in verse 8. He speaks about the basic principles of the world. So... We cannot have 100% me and 100% Jesus because you only have 100% capacity. So how can I have more of him? I can only have more of him as I empty myself of myself and I become less and he becomes more. And the degree to which I am willing to vacate myself, if I can use that term, the degree to which I am willing to uh, die to myself and to my ambitions and my goals and my desires, that is the degree to which He can fill me. But that's exactly where we have the problem. We all want to have more of Jesus. We sing those songs, more, more of Jesus. Um, we want more of Him, but we don't want less of ourselves. 
The only way we can get more of Him as, the, as we decrease, as we become less, He can become more, that He might be the all in all. And in fact, in the, in the book of Colossians, Paul speaks about that's, that's really what it's all about, that Jesus needs to be all in all. He needs to be everything. He needs to be everything in the church, and He needs to be everything in my life. And so that we may attain to the, the fullness of the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both the Father and of Christ. Now, he speaks there about knowledge in verse 2. And then verse 3, he's going to speak about knowledge again. And we're going to speak about knowledge again in the next session in verse 8. But verse 3 says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, here's a, here's a very simple verse, and it con yet it contains a very important and profound uh, lesson. Many Christians want knowledge, want wisdom. They want to increase their knowledge of the Scriptures. They want to increase their knowledge of God. They, they want to know more about Him and all of, uh, of His Word and all of those things. And it becomes a pursuit on, in its own right. And so we, we chase after knowledge. We chase after wisdom. We chase after knowing more of His Word, more about doctrine, more about theology, more about all of these things. But you cannot have them separate from Jesus because they are in Him. In, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And you'll see that he uses that word hidden. Hidden means that it's not visible to the naked eye. You remember the tabernacle in the Old Testament was not a very pretty sight. If you came to the outside, you see there's a fence that kept you out. And then if you got to the gate or the door at the front and you had a peek inside, what you would see would be the altar and the blood and the smell of burning flesh and the noise going on as animals are being killed and being sacrificed on that altar. Not very pretty, not very exciting, and very, in fact, very off-putting to most people. In fact, you remember the altar is a picture of the cross, and many are, uh, many are put off by the cross today. They find the cross repulsive. What, what we try and do is we try and dress up the cross with all sorts of pretty ideas, and, uh, and um, uh, we try to make it less, uh, we try to sanitize the cross. But in fact, the cross is a terrible place where the Son of God was slaughtered for me, and my sins were laid upon Him, He who knew no sin, became sin for us. And yet that is what you got to see on the outside. If you looked at the building itself, it, it was draped in, uh, in skins, pauper skins or badger skins, depending on your translation and your understanding of, but they skins of one kind or the other. And uh, we know that when you leave leather out in the weather, it goes gray, black, ugly. Leather is very beautiful if you can preserve it. And if you can put uh, polish and wax and things like that on it, but you leave it out in the weather, it becomes really ugly. 
And that's what you could see was just this tent with this ugly, drab, gray or brown covering. Nothing beautiful, nothing attractive. But if you went the way of the cross, the altar, via the laver, the place of washing, and were able to enter into the very presence of God, which only the high priest could do once a year, and the other priest could come into the outer court. When you came in there, you were able to see the glory and the beauty of God in as much as human artistry could, could, could create it. You saw the blue and the red and the purple and the gold and the fine linen and the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God shining out from behind the veil beautiful, magnificent, the lampstand and the altar of incense and the table of showbread. All of these things speaking of Jesus. But you see, they were hidden to those who had not gained access into the presence of God. They were hidden in this drab, unattractive package. But if you got inside, suddenly the whole thing opened up and the glory and the beauty and the magnificence and the holiness and the presence of God became available. And so Paul says, in him, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is not very attractive to the world. Again, the church has tried to dress him up and to sell him as being attractive. But in fact, he's not that attractive. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace lay upon him. His face was marred more than the face of any man. He had no beauty that we should desire him. And yet he contains all of the fullness of God. In him, Paul says here in Colossians, in verse 18, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything is in Jesus. And you will never get to understand anything until you get inside of Jesus, until you're placed in him. And you enter into him, and from, the, from, from inside of the Lord Jesus, from being baptized, immersed into him and into his body, we begin to see the beauty and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our minds begin to be opened, and we begin to understand his word, and we begin to see the knowledge and the wisdom that is available in the Lord Jesus Christ. And folk, I am deeply concerned, and I'm going to speak more about that when we get to verse 8 in the next session, but I am deeply concerned that Christians are wasting their time studying the Word of God in an intellectual way. And please understand, I'm not against studying the Word of God. I've read a few books, and I, I, I went to school once. But the, the wisdom is not to be found here. It's to be found in His presence. And I'm concerned that there are so many Christians who are spending their time 
trying to, to research the, the, the Hebrew background of the Scriptures, trying to understand the philosophers, trying to understand Karl Barth, trying to understand Calvin, trying to get all of these things. The, the, the knowledge is not out there. The knowledge is in Him. And it's in Him that we have all the wisdom and all the knowledge. And if you are not walking with Him, if you're not walking in Him, as Paul says to the philosophers, in Him we live and move and have our being. And if you're not living and moving and having your being, being in Jesus Christ, even though you can have doctorates and, and, and in theology, you can have PhDs in theology until they come out your ears, you will not know the truth. And folk, unfortunately, many of churches like your church and like my church, our kinds of churches where we seek to know the truth, we seek to know the Word of God, and we seek to have a right relationship with God. Unfortunately, our churches are filled with people who simply have an academic head knowledge of the things of God, but they don't know Jesus. They've never met Him in reality. Yes, they prayed the sinner's prayer, and yes, they come to the prayer meeting, and they take communion, and they've been baptized, and all of these things, but they are not in Him. They're walking in the flesh. And you'll get nothing in the flesh. Paul says the Greeks seek for wisdom. Jews seek a sign. Says, but we preach Christ and Him crucified. It's not to be found in wisdom. It's not to be found in head knowledge. And I, 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 don't, I don't decry the importance of being diligent to show yourself approved unto God, workmen who need not be ashamed. I teach the Word of God academically in a Bible school. I teach the Word of God verse by verse, word by word, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, in my church and wherever I, wherever I go. Yes, these things are important, but until you get Jesus, you get nothing. And until you get back with Jesus, you have nothing. I'm deeply concerned that there may be those here this morning or watching on the video think they can get to know Him just through studying. No, we can't get Him. Remember the, the, the people in Jesus' time, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were scholars. Some of the greatest scholars of, uh, in Jewish history lived at that time. Paul was trained by a man called Gamaliel. We know that. So Gamaliel and Paul were contemporaries of Jesus. They were there at that time. Gamaliel is one of the greatest teachers that Israel ever had. Gamaliel was taught by his father-in-law, Hillel. You ask any Orthodox Jew, any Jew who knows a little bit about his faith, he'll tell you one of the greatest sages of all time was Hillel. And yet for all their knowledge, all of the Talmud that they wrote, all of their ability to recite the Old Testament from beginning through to the end, when Jesus stood in front of them, they couldn't recognize him. They said he has a demon. It helped them nothing. God has revealed these things to the simple. 
Paul says. And in him are hidden all of the treasures. Men read these books, and I read a couple of books, mainly comics, but I have books on my, on my shelves just to impress people when they come into my office. But there is very little in all of those books. And as I get older and as I have grown older, and having studied the Word of God for, for over 50 years now, I read the books and I find that maybe there's one or two little things in the book that's, that's worth, worth having. And I have to work my way through a whole book to get one or two little thoughts. And yet when I turn to the Lord Jesus and allow Him to speak through His Word, I find that every verse is filled with wisdom and with knowledge and with the beauty and the glory of His presence and of His Word. It's to be found in Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of knowledge, of wisdom and of knowledge. Now this I say, Paul says, verse 4, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Don't be deceived into believing you can find anything outside of Jesus Christ. There is nothing. And I'm going to touch on that again in the second session, verse 5. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit. And that's what we're going to have to be doing in the future. Rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness. Two very important things. The word good order here is a military term. And it refers to when the, when the soldiers are set up in battle array. And I'm sure we've seen pictures and uh, understood how when they went to battle those days and even today, there, is a, there, there are battle lines drawn. And if you're fighting with infantry, uh, the, the infantry, every man is given a particular place that he needs to, 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 to hold. And he needs to hold that line. Um, Americans love reenactments of the Civil War and other wars. And you see these things replayed over and over. How that they form that line. And you need to hold your place in that line. That's the word that he is using here. When I observe your good order. The fact that you've taken your right place in the line. That's the word. And folks, it's more important than ever that believers take their right place in the body of Christ, in the line of defense. Because what does the enemy want to do? What is it all about? It's about breaching that line. And the moment you breach that line, the enemy is able to get through and able to attack from the rear. That's one of the strategies of, 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 of warfare. And the devil uses that. If he can breach the line of this church and can get inside, the defenses. He is able to wreak havoc from within. We need to hold the line because the attacks are real. The attacks are spiritual. Well, the weapons of our warfare are not weak, but they are mighty. But we need to hold the line. 
One soldier cannot defeat the enemy, but one soldier can cause the defeat of the army. Because if one soldier decides to run, and the others begin to fear because now there's a, there's a gap, there's a, there's a position that hasn't been taken, and the next one says, well, I'm going to run. And the next one, and then... it's essential that each one keep his proper order, his proper place. Now, I understand there may be those who are watching the video who are not members or part of this church, and there, yet there are others who are part of the church. And there may be visitors here this morning. I believe it's important that you find your proper place in the body of Christ. You say, well, I can't find a good church. You better find one. Because you're not going to stand on your own. We're headed for very, very, very difficult times. I don't think we begin to understand. And if you weren't with us on Friday, I ask you to go and watch those videos. Uh, it's on, uh, on this church's website and also on Cornerstone. Folk, we're near the end. The attack is intensifying. We need one another. We need the body of Christ. You will not stand on your own. You need to be within a line of those who will stand with you, those who will back you up, those who will link arms with you, that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil and against the attacks that is coming against us like never before. And so he says, I'm rejoicing to see your good order and your steadfastness. And again, it's a military term that you are standing firm, that you're not running away, that you're not breaking ranks is the term we use in the military. And folk, again, we're living in a time when people are breaking ranks. They're leaving churches for no good reason at all. They're fight, finding arguments and things to debate about and things to cause division about and, and, and breaking up the good order, the rank. Don't break rank. Don't run away. Be steadfast. Don't be tempted to go ahead of the line. Remember Israel, as they moved in the Old Testament, they came out of Egypt. God is leading them. And how does he lead them? Orderly and in in uh, tribe by tribe, every tribe had its right place. Right at the front was the uh, Ark of the Covenant and the uh, tabernacle and the priests. And then each tribe came in its proper order. And God leading them with a pillar of fire and the cloud. What would happen if you say, well, you know, this whole lot's moving too slow for my thinking. I, I, need, I want to get ahead. I want to get there. You're on your own. What happened if you, if you didn't keep up? You say, well, I, you know, I've got a few other, I want to go and see over there. What's over there? Let me, uh, I'm a little tired. I'm going to take a break now. When you look again, the people of God have moved on. And then what happened? You weren't just lost. The Amalekites came. And who do the Amalekites attack? Those in the back. Those who weren't keeping up. Those who were not, those that had a broken rank. Those who straggled behind instead of being where they were supposed to be. 
And some of them were not where they were supposed to be because they had married Egyptians. They were unequally yoked. And so they didn't fit in with the, with, with the tribe that they came out of. And so they find themselves in the back in what the scripture calls the mixed multitude. Folks, let's be careful of our alliances. Let us not enter into relationships. Young people, don't get married. Don't have a relationship. Don't even begin to think you're just going to take someone out if they're not born again. I know it's hard in small churches. I've been in small churches all my life. I know how hard it is to find godly husbands and wives. I, my heart goes out to you as young people. But don't allow the devil to ensnare you into a relationship that will cause you to lag behind and to be taken out by Amalek, a picture of the flesh. Too many young people have lost their love for the Lord. Too many young people are not serving God anymore because they got married to unsaved partners. And instead of being pure and set aside for the Lord, they are part of the mixed multitude at the back. Don't break rank. Don't dabble with the enemy. Don't get into a relationship with the world, whether in marriage or in business or in any other way. Keep your place. Because it's only then that we are safe and that we are secure. I rejoice, he says, to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith. And where is the faith? In Christ. Verse 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Walk in him. So when he is saying walk in him, what is he contrasting that with? Walking in the flesh. Walk not after the flesh, but walk in the Spirit. Walk in Christ. What does it mean to walk in Christ? Well, exactly what I've been saying in these last few minutes. When He moves, I move. When He doesn't move, I don't move. In other words, He is the one who determines where I go, what I do, what I think about, how I spend my time, because I'm living in Him and not in the flesh. And then verse 7, rooted and built up in Him. By the way, here's a, there's a whole theme here in the book of Colossians, in Christ, in, and you'll see that in, in, in these um, verses, just looking, going back to verse, um, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. Verse 5, your faith in Christ. Verse 6 is, you therefore have received Christ Jesus, walk in Him. It's all about Him. And then verse 7, rooted and built up in Him. Again, in Him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Rooted in Him. The tree, the psalmist says, that is planted by the waters will not feel the drought because He is rooted in the waters. In Los Angeles, we have strong winds from time to time, and very often when these strong winds come, you see huge trees, massive big trees, blown over. 
And when the trees are blown over, it's amazing when you, you look at them because you find that they, 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 there are these huge trees, much taller than this building, 40, 50 feet, 10, 15 meter tall trees. Trunks a, a meter in diameter. But when you look at the roots, the roots are just a few feet wider than the tree. And they only go down about 18 inches, 45 centimeters. Why? Because they're planted in gardens, city gardens, in the tree, in the, in the, on the lawn. And they water the lawns with a little bit of water every day. And so the tree develops shallow roots. And when the storm comes, the tree falls over. But we need to have those roots that go deep into the Lord Jesus. Rooted in Him. You see... If your experience and your walk with God has been a shallow one up to now, you're going to be very challenged in these next few weeks and months. Because the problem is that most Christians are like those city lawns. They get a little bit of water Sunday and then they go home and that sort of keeps them going until next Sunday. They get a little bit more water that keeps them going till the next Sunday. But there is no depth of soil. There is no depth of root in the Lord Jesus. And so when the storms come, they blow over. Just like the tree that was, uh, the, the house that was built on the sand. Folk, more than ever, you need to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. You need to be, have your roots go deep in Him. And you need to be anchored in Him. That when the storms come, that you will stand and you will endure. And you will not be blown hither and thither by every wind of doctrine and by every circumstance that comes upon us. And so rooted and built up in Him. So it's no good just being rooted. A, a, a tree is no good just with roots. It has to have a substructure and a superstructure. It needs to have a foundation, but there needs to be a building. Where's Jeremy? Is that right? You can't just have a foundation. And you can't just have a building. You must have the foundation and the building built on that foundation. We need to be rooted in Him and we need to be built up in Him. So it's, it's no good just saying, well, I have this deep relationship with the Lord Jesus, but there's no growth in my life. If I, was, if I am indeed rooted in Him, there will be growth. We will be built up. How are we built up? We're built up by one another. We are built up by the, by the Word of God. We're built up by His Spirit. And we're built up as we obey Him and we do His will as we grow. Sometimes in our church we see babies that are underdeveloped physically. And they're underdeveloped because they grow, they, they, they are born and then they get put in these little carrier things. And that's where the baby spends its life, lying in that little carrier. It never exercises its muscles, so it, it's very late in learning to walk and to be able to use its, its body. No, we need to learn to walk. We need to become strong in the Lord. But it only happens if we are rooted in Him. And of course, this is the problem, is that so many Christians are, are wanting to be built up 
They want to have the building, but in fact there is no root and there is no foundation. We need the root and we need the foundation that we might be built up in Him. Again, in Him and established in the faith. Established in the faith. Firm. Steadfast. Immovable. Because we're established in the faith. Again, I'm concerned when I see Christians so quickly deceived into running after this philosophy and that preacher and this idea and that book and the latest fad on Facebook. Be careful of Facebook. Thank God for good stuff like this on Facebook. This is on Facebook. Praise God for that. But there's a lot of nonsense on Facebook. And every charlatan, every Tom, Dick, and Harry, every crook can go on Facebook costs nothing. It doesn't take much brains. Even I can do it. And you can post whatever you like on there. And people believe it because it's on Facebook. You know, in the old days, we, we used to say, how do you know that it's like this? Oh, I read it in the newspaper. And we didn't, we believed the newspaper could never lie. If it's in the newspaper, it's got to be true. Well, today it's on Facebook, so it's on Facebook, so it's got to be true. I see more nonsense on Facebooks from Christians than anywhere else. All sorts of schemes and con conspiracies and false stuff. We need to be established. And we will not be established if the foundation is not there. The writer to the Hebrews deals with this in Hebrews chapter 5, the last two verses, and then the first two verses of chapter 6. That we need to be built upon the foundation of our faith. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God, doctrine of baptisms, and so on. Folk, we need to be established. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, if you've been a Christian for a few years, it's time you got established instead of being blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We're afraid of being established because there's a whole thing today against the idea of the establishment in the political and the cultural world. The establishment is bad. We, we have to have a revolution. And we've got that same nonsense into the church. And so don't worry about the old guys. They, they're part of the establishment. We're part of the new generation. We have new ideas. We're going to take the world for Christ. No, you need to get established on the Word of God. You need to be grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ and not be swayed by the fancy ideas that come from men all the time. And in fact, Paul speaks about that in this passage, verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. How can we be deceived by persuasive, persuasive words? Because we are not rooted and built up and established in Him. Our faith is shallow. Our faith is in the teachings of men. We praise God for faithful men and for elders in this church. But when we're simply following them and we don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we are shallow. We are not rooted. 
We are not established. And the whole purpose of leadership in the church is to establish believers in the faith that they might stand, particularly at a time like now. I'm concerned about many people in my church that I, because I won't be able to see them face to face. And I won't be able to understand where they are at spiritually and be able to pick them up every time they fall and warn them every time I see them going astray. And if they're not established, and if you're not established, we have dangerous times ahead. Much as I'm grateful for the ability to live stream and to do what we're doing this morning, one of my concerns is that once the meetings stop, and we, who knows whether you will have another meeting next week. We don't know how things are going to be developing here. Certainly, we never expected to be closed down. We were making arrangements to be able to at least have uh, some folk uh, there. And uh, when, when that all stops, one of the dangers is that people will have more time to surf the Internet, to go onto Facebook and YouTube and that they will fall prey of false teachers because they are not established in, and rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you do have more time because you've been laid off or because you're working from home and because um, there, there's no more uh, footy on TV and so you have more time to do you don't know what with, be careful who you watch. Be careful who you surf, who, what, what, what sites you surf. Because if you're not established, I, folk, folk here's, here's the thing, I'm going to close. I have been horrified over the years. I made reference to some of this on Thursday night concerning the great falling away. By men that I looked up to at one time, falling for all sorts of nonsense, moving away from the faith, moving away from the very things that they laid and taught it into my life. Because in fact, they were never really established. And I pray that that would not happen with anyone here this morning or those who are watching today. That you would be rooted and established in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you would not be moved from the things that you have learnt we may speak about tradition a little bit later. And there's good tradition and there's bad tradition. And Paul says, you need to hold to the right tradition. The tradition you've received from your elders in this assembly. And the reason people are deceived by these slick preachers on television and on YouTube is because they are not rooted in Jesus Christ. My prayer is for you. My prayer is for this, for this assembly of God's people, that you would indeed be rooted and grounded in Him, immovable, steadfast, and that you would endure to the end. Amen.